From the very birth of uh, Christianity, Christians have been called to be the protectors of the weak and of those who were unable to stand up for themselves. In the early days of Christianity in the Greco-Roman world, they, didn't, they did do some practice of abortion, but generally they practiced something called infanticide. In other words, they would just kill the babies as soon as they were born. Often they would take them out to the edge of town and simply leave them out in the elements to die. And as Christianity began to take hold in this world almost 2,000 years ago, the Christians would go out to the edge of town and they would find the babies that were still alive and they would take them home and they would raise them. Christians have been standing up for life and the life of children since the beginning of Christianity. Mother Teresa once asked an American, when are you going to stop killing your babies? And I believe that we as Christians, as Christians, have a responsibility for the lives that are being taken around us every single day. Today, we are privileged to have Lisa Davis here with us. Lisa is from a Hope Center here in Fort Wayne. And we're going to take some time today on this Sunday, the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, to talk about a Hope Center, what they're doing here in Fort Wayne, to talk about this issue of abortion and how as we as Christians can become involved. So Lisa, welcome. We're so glad that you are here to share with us today. And would you begin by telling us a little bit about a Hope Center and what it is that you do? As you can tell, I'm technologically impaired. Um, (laughs) um, I am a staff nurse at a Hope Center, as well as the post-abortion ministry coordinator, and um, I think I answered a question ahead of time there, but that's all right. Um, And the Hope Center used to be the Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's been around for 25 years. This is our 25th anniversary this year, and we uh, provide all kinds of life-affirming, Uh, pregnancy-related services for women and their families. So I like to think about it as um, sort of on a continuum, starting with abstinence. Uh, We encourage, we are abstinence-based, we encourage young women and men to remain pure until marriage. We realize that as we share with them uh, that, that many of them think that's a foreign concept and that we live in a very sexualized culture. Uh, But, you know, it's like John the Baptist. If we're like a lone voice crying out in the wilderness sometimes as Christians, and we really need to communicate that. Um, So we encourage abstinence through uh, school-based programs where we talk about dating, uh, date rape, relationship issues. And and, uh, we talk about that at youth groups with our own clients. And then we also provide services for uh, women, young women who come in, um, a free pregnancy test. And, um, excuse me, if she is, um, if the result is positive, then we talk about the choices that she has legally. She does have the choice to um, abort. Obviously, we do not encourage that. We, um, inc- we talk about abortion and what it might involve physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, should she choose to carry, which we pray that she will, then, <clears throat> excuse me, we talk about the other two options that she has which are to parent or to place for adoption. And 
<clears throat> excuse me, I would like you to practice with me saying place for adoption. Say, say it after me. Place for adoption. Very good. It's better than saying um, gave your baby up for adoption. It's much more positive language. And it's uh, much more encouraging to a woman who's considering adoption. So we will support her through that process. We are not an adoption agency, but we'll support her through that process should she decide to do that. And then if she does parent or uh, if, if she is with, with or without the father of the baby, we'll support both of them, encourage both of them through that parenting process through, through a program we have um, called Earn While You Learn, where they earn bonus bucks. They can buy material things in our, our bonus room, our baby store. And uh, while they're earning these bonus bucks, they can also learn about parenting and fetal development and discipline and fathering. And we have a, a, a new mission this year, especially um, emphasizing the fatherhood initiative, trying to teach young men about being good fathers. And then uh, should she choose to, to abort, uh, then um, we receive her with open arms, with love, um, teaching her about... God's grace, his love, his forgiveness, and his truth. Always the truth. The truth is is that life is life from the very moment of conception. And, and women who have abortions on some level usually realize that and understand that. And once that decision is made, then uh, there's a lot of grief involved and a lot of suppressed grief. So we, in, we, op- we open up our doors to women and men who have had abortions to encourage them to uh, move in a different direction uh, and repent and receive the forgiveness that God wants to offer them. Well, you mentioned about your role there. Why don't you expound upon that just a little bit more, what it is that you do exactly for a Hope Center? Well, um, one of my main um, job responsibilities is to provide pregnancy testing and pregnancy education, uh, abstinence education to young women that come to the center. And we do have male volunteers as well, by the way, and they speak with the guys. I don't, I don't do that, and none of the women do. Um, and so we talk with them about their choices and give them a wide variety of education about that. But my main role for the last 10 years has been to be the post-abortion ministry coordinator. And um, in that, I talk with women who have had abortions. I uh, also have talked with some men who have had abortions and and get them connected, who have abortions in their past, and get them connected with um, our one male volunteer who helps with that. And uh, but basically, I see a lot of women, and when and they're largely churched, Christian churched women whose abortions were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, We have some newer clients coming in as well, but I talk with them about what we can offer, educate them about what post-abortion stress is, help them to understand that this is a suppressed grief reaction. It is a pregnancy loss, no matter how you look at it, and um, help them through that grieving process, primarily through a Bible study that we have that's called Forgiven and Set Free, a post-abortion Bible study support group. Um, That is small, confidential, and... uh, very, very personal and very lovingly conducted. Well, um, Pastor Chuck mentioned some statistics about abortion. And this week I was just reading, um, I was reading Sarah Palin's book, and she was talking about finding out that she was pregnant with a child with Down syndrome. And as she spoke to her doctor about that, her doctor told her that today in the United States, 90% of all pregnancies with Down syndrome are now aborted that we are choosing in our society, we're picking and choosing 
the kind of children almost that we want to have. What, what are some of the other statistics you can share with us this morning about what has been happening with abortion? Um, well, abortion has, has declined somewhat since its peak in the mid-80s. Uh, but it's still there are about 1.29 million abortions every year, and that is the total of abortions since it was legalized is about the population of Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio. It, to try to wrap your mind around this number of people, and um, of course connected with every child who is aborted is a mother, a father, grandparents, siblings, friends. And so literally the number of people affected by abortion is, is, is literally millions upon millions upon millions. And I've talked with women who have taken friends to the abortion clinic. I can tell you that they are definitely impacted by taking uh, a friend or, or a, a young man who took a woman uh, to the abortion clinic. And it's just, it's just such, it's almost just beyond our grasp to understand the impact on our country. Um, but it is truly uh, scarred and damaged our, our country, and we can all play a part in that. Um, there were abortions, obviously, before 1973. They were legal in other states, and there were illegal abortions done as well. I didn't get a chance to share this little story about um, I'm a psychiatric nurse by background, and I worked at Charter Beacon for a while. I uh, was doing an interview, uh, a nursing intake of a woman on the Jarrow Psych Unit there, and you know, not not knowing my background at all, I was just a nurse to her. I sat down with her and began to talk with her about what, um, you know, what kind of started her psychiatric issues. And she said, I can tell you where it all started. It started back in 19, I don't know what she said, 1928, when I had a, an abortion in New York. And it was a legal abortion because they were um, legal back then in New York. And she said, my, my father made me go. She was 16 years old. My father made me go have this abortion. And ever since then, I've, I've been depressed. Uh, she had made like three or four suicide attempts and had been hospitalized at Richmond State Hospital for much of her life. Um, and she volunteered this information um, willingly and said she herself recognized that that was the source of all of her pain um, was that decision that was made 70 years ago. And uh, I cannot tell you how many young women or how many, how many people I've talked to who have known of, of older women in even nursing homes telling their pastors, I have something I've never shared with anybody, um, wounded by abortion and hurt by the decision that they made. So um, it, the impact is just staggering, absolutely staggering. Um, but our God is bigger than that. What about here in Fort Wayne? What about how many abortions go on here in Fort Wayne? About 15 uh, every week on Thursdays in, in Fort Wayne. So somewhere between 10 and 15, a classroom, a small classroom of children. Um, the, the rate seems to be going down, but obviously 15 or one abortion is one too many. And um, I, I, I really try not to talk too much about the other you know, organizations and what they're doing. But just to be aware that abortion is really practiced still very regularly in Fort Wayne and has been for um, going on two decades. What about yourself? What's your own story? What's your own personal experience with, with abortion? Um, <clears throat> I wanted to share this with you. I, I didn't do this also in first service. 
Don't you love the unpredictability of this? All right. Um, I first started sharing my story. I am post-abortive. And uh, I, I first started sharing my story back in, um, I don't know, it was probably seven years ago. And what prompted me to share my story was uh, reading this from Psalm 107. And my, my husband's Bible is in a different, a different um, it's just written differently. And I don't even remember what version he has. But it says, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. And um, having uh, experienced abortion myself, knowing that, the God, that God was leading me to speak out, I read that and I thought, well, God is telling me to go and speak out now. But um, from Psalm 107, it says um, a couple of things about people who make decisions who are, who are um, really suffering from the consequences of those. From uh, verse 17 in Psalm 107, it says, Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And um, the verse before, the, the passage before that talks about um, choosing rebellion, rebelling against God, against the words of God, spurning the counsel of the Most High, and the hard labor. Um, that is very much what happened in my life and happens in many post-abortive women's, women, women's lives, um, where ab- abortion, uh, because it's obviously a very serious sin, I'll sin serious, but it, it has a huge impact. And uh, it, it did on my life as well. I was... I grew up in a Christian home. I don't think that my relationship with God, with God was anything very personal until I was 31 when I made a personal commitment to Christ. But I grew up uh, believing in God and um, having somewhat of a, of a relationship with him until I started to drift away in my teen years. So teenagers, take your walk with Christ seriously because if you walk away, it can be absolutely um, just destructive. And my life began to really take a downward spiral. I began to, um, was sexually active with my my boyfriend before we got married. I'm still married to that man, miraculously. This is our 25th anniversary. That doesn't happen for a lot of couples that experience abortion. But at 18, I was uh, pregnant. I was referred to the abortion clinic by another organization. And at the abortion clinic, I had a test I didn't even know I was in an abortion clinic for, for the, first, the first matter. I did not realize that what it said was, it, it was described as a, a, as a women's health organization, and I didn't know it was an abortion clinic. So I had my pregnancy test there, and when they gave me the positive test, I thought, oh, positive, that's good. And she said, oh, no, you don't realize that's bad. That's, uh, that means you're pregnant. And she scheduled an abortion from two weeks from that time frame, I didn't even know what I believed in abortion, what I believed about abortion. I didn't really have any viewpoints about it. I just knew I was absolutely terrified. I was scared. I was in shock. And um, I had this appointment in my hand. And over the next two weeks, I literally went on autopilot. I can barely even remember what happened in that two-week time frame waiting for that abortion to take place. Um, my boyfriend came back in the picture. We had been broken up, and he came back in the picture and my, uh, he knew about the pregnancy and the abortion. My mother knew about the pregnancy and the, and the upcoming abortion. And my mom said, um, 
well, you know, we'll support you whatever decision you make. When I really wanted to hear, you can do this, we'll be beside you, it'll be okay, you can have this baby. But um, she did what she thought was supportive and helpful. And my boyfriend um, really stayed silent. It's really the sin of Adam. The sin of Adam as Eve was tempted, standing right there as Eve was tempted, it was the same thing. I was tempted, and he stood right, right there uh, silently beside me, not saying a word about what this was going to, um, what his viewpoints were. I learned out much later that uh, he really wanted me to carry that baby, but he didn't say anything. And so he took me to the abortion clinic. Uh, two weeks later, I had the abortion. And then the, the proverbial um, dam broke, and I just began to spiral out of control. I, I partied. I, I worked. I smoked. I, I, we had a destructive relationship, my boyfriend and I. And um, somehow through all that, we managed to get married. And the first few years of our marriage were extremely rough. And um, on top of that, I was unable to conceive a child for four years. Obviously, I felt like God was punishing me. Um, and I kept telling God I was sorry, but I had to do what I had to do for whatever reason. I couldn't raise a child, and I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. God's not really interested in our excuses. He's interested in wholehearted repentance. That didn't take place for many years. After my, my, first, my second child... Um, that I conceived, but my first child was born. Uh, she just kind of filled this empty spot in my heart for a few years, not actually just for a few months. And then I began to have this emptiness again, not knowing what that empty witness was, not realizing that that was a place only for Jesus. And a few years later, I gave birth to my son, and having both my son and my daughter there as living examples every single day of what I had done was unbearable. And um, I could still cry about it when I think about it now um, because it was, it's, it's still painful today to know that we have someone in our family that's missing. And um, after my son was born, I, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression, which I believe was not postpartum depression entirely. It was a real spiritual thing. It was uh, truly almost a, 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 a struggle between life and death, a struggle between um, giving in to despair and following Christ. And a few, a couple of months after my son was born, I repented of my sin wholeheartedly. Um, I can't tell you how it happened. I just know it was so a Holy Spirit thing. And I just got down on my face in my room and I told God I was, for the first time, I was wholeheartedly sorry for what I had done and that I have no excuse for what I did and please, please forgive me. And I began to feel a burden lift. And I began to seek after God and through a series of different situations. Um, some of you might know this book, Beyond Ourselves, by Catherine Marshall. Um, Catherine Marshall, 40 years after she wrote this book, about a decade after she died, witnessed Christ to me uh, through her book. And it spoke to my humanistic way of thinking of the world at the time. And she, she encouraged the reader to surrender their life to Christ and I did that again in my room I said Jesus if if you want me I surrender my entire life to you and my life began to take a complete change just a complete turnaround I began to everything that I formerly believed was transformed and changed over months over years I was called to the center about a year after I came to Christ 
I knew God wanted me there. I didn't know why, but I was there. And I remember telling Judy Hapke, the director at the time, I said, you know, I'm happy to be here and I want to help, but I want to tell people about Jesus. Is that okay? And she said, yes, that's perfectly fine. That's what we do here. So um, I, I was my, my career at the center was launched, and my life with Jesus um, was, was really growing, and, and I was being stretched in many directions. And then I, I began to do post-abortion ministry. I went through the same Bible study that I now um, conduct and co-facilitate. And uh, just God has just done an, an amazing work in in the center and in people that go to the center to volunteer and I just um, am just just in awe of what Jesus can do. If, by the way, you know someone who has experienced abortion or you yourself have have experienced abortion, I realize that talking about abortion and 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 watching the video of, of fetal development can be can can really can really uh, hurt. But it's also truth that's necessary. And I just want you to know that Jesus has full redemption for you and that he loves you and that there is no sin that his blood is not pure enough to cleanse. He cleanses you and he loves you no matter where you've been and what you've done. And if that's the case, what is it that we as a church can do and what is it that a Hope Center does for those who have experienced abortion? Um, personally, what you can do is, is pray, is to be receptive, is to acknowledge and recognize our own propensity to sin, to be um, humble in, in understanding that, but by the grace of God, you know, any one of us could have been there. Anyone can drift away from God and make poor decisions, even a decision like that. And um, if you understand that, you, you, you own that, then you're ready to hear the stories from men and women who have experienced abortion or other, other things that might seem like shocking sins in the church. Um, and then if, if someone tells you, a good thing to say might be, you know, I've come to a whole new understanding about abortion and how it affects men and women, and um, I'm, I'm there for you, and, and I care about you, and Jesus loves you, and... There is forgiveness at the foot of the cross and just continue to reaffirm your love and God's love for them. Then encourage them, um, that second part of your question, mm-hmm. to, to get in contact with the center, both men and women, and we can um, offer to take them through a Bible study called, like I said, it was called Forgiven and Set Free. The men's study is called Healing a Father's Heart, and we have another study for men called Missing Arrows. And um, so we just encourage you to refer them to the center. Please, if you do refer anybody, tell them that I have had an abortion and that um, I am not going to be in a place of judgment. I know that none of, all of us can be free of judgment um, if we understand our place with Christ, but sometimes it's just helpful for them to know that somebody who's had an abortion is going to be there to talk about them. Obviously, I'm public, and um, it doesn't matter to me who you tell about uh, my, my personal abortion history. And then if they decide to go through that, that's a very small, very personal, confidential post-abortion Bible study that we take them through. If they're not willing to go through the Bible study, we will, I will work with them on a one-on-one, um, continuing to witness to them, sometimes through just my, my love for them and my concern for them about Jesus. And, and gradually, as the doors open, I'll present the gospel to them because it's really... You know, we can encourage someone to grieve. We can encourage someone to, 
to forgive themselves or to accept forgiveness, but until they really understand what Jesus did to, did for them, then they really don't truly um, understand how they can escape from this, this grievous sin in their eyes and, and receive that full forgiveness. Um, so that's what we can do. Very good. You know, I think we as Christians have to think about how do we become involved? We can't just give lip service. We need to think about what, what do we do in our own lives. Um, a couple of years ago, um, a movement began through the Catholic Church, 40 Days for Life, um, which is a 40-day prayer movement that's happening in the fall um, for life. This year will be the third year that that will happen, and we want to join together with 40 Days for Life here in Fort Wayne in the fall that we will gather in that 24-7 prayer movement to pray for life, a nonviolent way as Christians that we can say, God, we're going to pray for your movement here in this city, and we're going to join together with all the other Christians of this city. But also, why don't you tell us how um, how we can be partners with you? What kind of things can people do through a Hope Center? There, there are so many different ways to um, help the center. Um, one of the main ways that a lot of people feel called to, and if you should pray about this and feel called to do so, is volunteering. We're always in need of volunteers. We promise you a full classroom training and in-office training. We're not going to just uh, put you out there without some um, understanding and knowledge about what we're doing. So you will, you will have training until you feel confident. Well, I don't know that anybody feels completely confident. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, there's also other ways that you can volunteer. You can be a receptionist. You can help in the bonus room. There's, men can advocate for guys. And there's just a, a lot of different ways to volunteer. But uh, if you'd like to help out financially, we have something called a baby bottle campaign. You can pick up bottles from the center and distribute them among your family, your church, your youth group. And just have a designated time to distribute the bottles and a designated time to pick them up. And they fill the, uh, the people that you give the bottles to fill them up with change and bring them back to that designated spot. You bring them into the center. And churches have raised three and $4,000 before just through a baby bottle campaign. It's amazing what we can do when we don't have a Starbucks every week. Um, but anyhow, then also we have two big fundraisers a year. We have the banquet. Our 25th anniversary banquet's coming up, and Francine Rivers, who, by, her, by the way, is also post-abortive. Francine Rivers will be coming this um, year to speak on April 20th about redeeming love. If you've ever read, ever read her book, she will be sharing about that. And it's a fundraising banquet. It's free to come. You can call the center, and there's um, material out at the, at the table where you can get the information about contacting the center, but it's also, I believe, in your bulletin. And, um, and then we have a fundraiser called Strides of Hope. Strides of Hope is a run walk, and uh, you can just get people to sponsor you just simply to walk. It's two and a half miles, so it's doable for most. Um, and you can raise funds that way as well. Um, also, praying, just praying for us. I would ask that you would specifically uh, pray for um, several clients right now who are on the verge of receiving Christ or who are interested or are seeking that I'm personally working with. And some of them are post, a couple of them are post-abortive. And one is an agnostic, a professed agnostic. And I would really like for you to pray for her because uh, even in, in what she's, she's uh, 
where she's at right now as an agnostic, she still understands the woundedness of abortion and how abortion has impacted her life, which I find amazing since she does not have the Holy Spirit within her to illuminate that. But I believe the Holy Spirit is calling to her. So please pray for her. And um, I think that's about all I can think of right now. All right. Well, Lisa will be at the table in the foyer on the way out if you want to stop and talk to her and, and get more information. And we're just so grateful. Thank you so much for coming and for sharing with us today. And Pastor Chuck, we'll turn it back over to you.